found it completely discouraging to find a bunch of corporate CEOs uh, getting in the middle of politics. My advice to the corporate CEOs of America is to stay out of politics. Don't pick sides in these big fights. Mitch McConnell has been fighting for one thing and one thing alone throughout the entirety of his career. And as he goes into the twilight of his life, that fact has not changed. Nobody, and I I say this without hyperbole, nobody has done more to make sure that corporations have a seat at the table than Mitch McConnell has. And not only that they get a seat at the table, but that they get all of the seats at the table. And you are forced to eat the crumbs off of the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Fire You Can't Put Out. My name is Melvin, and I want to thank you so much for being here. I know I'm nowhere near as regular on this microphone as I need to be, but it's been busy, and we're coming out of a pandemic, and I've got less free time. But I promise you, when I'm not on this microphone, I am thinking about you. So let's talk about how the week has gone, shall we? So Mitch McConnell says, I do not want corporations involved in politics. These are hard things. You don't understand these things. There was a study, and I've talked about it on this microphone before, that the things that we want as citizens, as people of this country, as the voters that put that pile of human waste in office, the things that we want, they're little more than uh, than than static noise, as in politicians do not hear them. Yes, when it is time to run for office, they tell us all the things that we would like to hear. And this isn't strictly a Republican thing, but for Mitch McConnell, he doesn't do a single thing that they want done in his district. But what he does is he's great at running for office. Every single thing that Mitch McConnell has done throughout his career has put more corporatists on the courts. It has put more corporatists in the House of Representatives, more corporatists into the White House, more corporatists into the House of Representatives, more corporatists into local government. And what does that mean? Your power shrinks dramatically. This is Mitch McConnell's idea of freedom. It's also anti-democratic. A note on how we ended up with a democratic system. So when you watch, say, Game of Thrones, that's a that's a good one. Um, man, it's the fight for the seven kingdoms, right? There's the king of this land and the, and the queen of this land, and it's almost always king. You know, maybe the king has a queen, but it's almost always king. And that's the very, very top of the food chain. And then the people do what they can to serve the king. And what the king wants, the king gets. And the king's kids, the the kids are all royalty. They get what they want. And the things that you want amount to little more than noise. See, the only reason you're there is to worship the king. Let's move forward. So we say no to the king. No to England. We're going to bounce on out of here. This ain't happening. We ain't feeling this. We got to go. We go. We have a civil war. There's a whole bunch of history here that I'm not going to get into. And we arrive in America. And the king says, hey, uh, we'd still very much like to run. 
uh, what you got going on over there. No, no taxation without represent representation. We we will not we will not have that. You can't. We're not on your damn land anymore. You can't run us anymore. And they go, well, how are you going to run things without a king? See, England still has a king and a queen and the monarchy and all the rest, but that's not really who run, runs things. It's really more ceremonial than anything, which I, I think is interesting. They should just straight up get rid of it. Like, don't even play this game anymore. Um, kings and queens and royalties and monarchies, this, it's not fun. So we say, yay, we're free. We're free here in America, right? What are we going to do with all this freedom? Well... Um, it doesn't start well, uh, <laughs> you know, as the old saying goes, you know, the, the, the pioneers get slaughtered so that the settlers can prosper. And a lot of the pioneers, yeah, got slaughtered. Um, we took the country. We took the country from other people. You know, we took the country from the Native Americans. And then we brought Africans here for free labor and we enslaved them. Okay. It's really, 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 really not a good start for the country. But in order to get people to accept the, the, the hierarchy that comes along with slavery, and mind you, regular schmucks like you or I, we didn't own slaves. So when we went, we fought in the Civil War to protect slavery, we weren't protecting the fact that, that, that Jim Bob and Joe Jean uh, are keeping slaves. You're fighting for the rich man. The rich man who's got dozens of slaves working on a plantation and so on. That's who you're out there fighting for and dying for. And we said, hey, we have to fight for slavery because it's our way of life. We have to fight for slavery. Otherwise, otherwise we're going to lose all of this. Otherwise, you're going to lose your jobs. Otherwise, you're going to lose your homes. And the black man's going to do this. And the black man's going to do that. And we can't, we can't. But it was the higher ups. It was the rich folks. It was the corporations that were saying that we need to have these fights. You need to go out there, fight and die, have one of your limbs sawed off without anesthesia. Just pour a little whiskey in it. You'll get, get you some gangrene. And then you, maybe you die. Maybe you don't. But that's the price of freedom. That's the price of freedom. But we were told that by rich folks and corporations that that's what we needed to do to sustain our way of life. We didn't have any power. Like we as working people, we still don't have a lot of power. Even back then, like the humble beginnings of the country. Yeah, it was started by, by these men, like these that cry freedom and all these other things. But even those men... The overwhelming majority of them who signed the Declaration of Independence and all these other, they were rich. And even though they said that we should get to, you know, all men are created equal, they were all white. And they all owned slaves. But what we were told, and this is insane to me, whenever I see some, you know, fat, big fat redneck with the Constitution tattooed on his back, I go, yikes. <laughs> Effing yikes. Yeah, we still operate under the Constitution, but we have to understand the context under which it was written. So we've long been told that we need to have these folks in charge because they know better. You know, it's the old idea of Calvinism. You know, you want to know who's, who God's chosen one is? 
Just look at who God gave all the money to. Gave all the money to all these rich white men. And then they passed it down to their rich white kids. And that's clearly who God chose. But we said, trust them. Trust the corporations. See, we, we, were, we were told that we can't have democracy anywhere. We can't have democracy in the country. We can't have democracy in the workplace. We just need to trust in what the higher-ups want to do. And yeah, the country has built some wealth. But we've built the greatest amount of our wealth when we had fewer and fewer of those masters. See, the United States Republican Party was out of power for about 30 years after the second after the second world war. 30 years. And we had and we had the new deal and we had massive growth. Yes. Yes, it was gigantic government spending. But it was exactly what the doctor ordered. Wages went up. Unionization went up. You know, people had access to health care. One person, think about that. One person in the home worked. One. One. And you could afford to take a vacation every year. You could afford to go to the doctor. You could afford to buy a new car. You could afford to fill your fridge. But then we said, no, no, no. No, that's too much. That's how you're losing your freedom. And so there was a fight to keep wages low and a fight to kill unionization and a fight to take our benefits away. And a lot of us, because fear tax tactics were used on us, we just went along with that. And we said, well, this is what we got to do. You know, we got to lower our wages and we got to cut unionization and all because of the crooked union bosses without ever thinking about the corporations without ever thinking about the, the rich folks, opulence. Opulence, by its very nature, makes people insecure. And I've realized that. I've watched two of the richest men go through divorces in the last year. Uh, that's Bezos, and that's the head of Microsoft, who is uh, the dude with the bowl cut. Oh my God, why can't I remember? <laughs> can't I remember Bill Gates. Why can't I remember his name? Okay, Bill Gates. And I, I noticed that, uh, boy, they made sure they kept those billions in the family. And with that, I realized that opulence makes you insecure. And, and it makes you insecure because maybe you do or maybe you don't. Remember what it, what it was like to be a working stiff. I don't have a gigantic need to be rich. Actually, and I say it into this microphone... I'm not trying to get rich. I am trying to stop working, but I'm not trying to get rich. Um, I really do believe the idea that, uh, one, when you're rich, especially like if you're morbidly rich, you're taking more than your share, which means you're taking from other people. So that's my first belief about extreme wealth. I'm not saying I have a problem being a millionaire, but I think if I hit the billion mark, uh, I'm definitely taking food off of your plate. Um, and the other thing is I believe that when you're that wealthy, 
it really does just come with a hell of a lot more problems. Now, obviously, you can afford great health care to take care of all those problems, but do you really want them? Like, is that really what you that really what you need? So right now, there's a, a massive fight, and it's good that it's happening in front of us because these things have long happened in back rooms. And now that the United States Republican Party has said, and Ted Cruz wrote an op-ed uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and he said, hey, um, if you guys are going to get involved in this fight, and here's what the problem is over. The Democrats want to expand voting rights to working people, to people in this country, to everybody. If you live in this country, they think that you have the right to vote. That's the modern Democratic Party. If you're the modern Republican Party, they don't think you have the right to vote, really, no matter who you are. And so the thing that, um, that Ted Cruz said in the Wall Street Journal was, if you corporations are going to fight us on fighting the For the People Act. So the For the People Act, that's the name of the bill that the Democrats have introduced. If you don't like the For the People Act, then um, we're not going to take your calls anymore when you want us to cut your taxes or cut your regulation. This is real. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call saying the quiet part out loud. Mitch McConnell is admitting it. You know, and this ding-dong from Texas is admitting it. That they've been working for the corporations for all of these years. And they don't really care what working people want. But now they're saying they might just quit working for the corporations because of what they're doing. And what they're doing is they're speaking out against what happened in Florida. Florida just severely cut people's right to vote in the state of Florida. They cut hours. They cut mail-in voting, you know, they, they cut drop boxes, um, and, but they did them mostly and almost exclusively in the counties that are largely African-American. And then you go down to Georgia. Georgia just, just did the same thing. They cut souls to the polls, which is where all the black folks go and they vote on Sunday, the Sunday before the election. They cut line warming. That's where you give somebody food because they've been standing in line for dozens of hours trying to vote. They cut line warming. They said no more of that. They, this whole thing with Uber, right? Saying, hey, you know, we will give people free rides to the polls. No, they cut that. You said They said you can't do that. And by the way, they made these things felonies. Like anything that helps people vote, that's what they're cutting. And they did the same thing in Texas. I think the Texas bill, depending on how you measure it, is probably the worst for just just outright stripping people of the right to vote, but narrowly, with, with great precision, narrowly targeting, simply keeping African-Americans away from the ballot box. In the bill that was written in Texas, it actually said, uh, and I quote, to maintain the purity of the vote. Now, this is, this is a historic term. We've heard this before in history. This was used in the late 1800s, and uh, this is when we were talking about giving slaves the right to vote. We said we can't give slaves the right to vote. It's the late 1800s because we need to maintain, quote unquote, the purity of the vote. That was a national bill. 
The bill that just got written in Texas used that exact language. We need to maintain the purity of the vote. And what is maintaining the purity of the vote in in the late 1800s? Well, it's the exact same thing in 2021. It means only white people can vote. And the young, dumb schmuck who wrote the bill in Texas to strip, to specifically strip black people of the right to vote, it was pointed out to him, hey, that's white supremacist language, and here's the historical precedence for it. Eventually, that phrase, and that phrase alone, was stripped out of the bill, but the bill still does the exact same thing it was meant to do before. And so this is pre-gaming. This is gearing up for next year. The Republican Party's talking about taking back the House and taking back the Senate. And they're going to do it with uh, Donald J. Dump. Okay, the guy that lost. Twice, by the way. They're going to take it back with him. They know they can't take it back with him. Or his ideas. Or his lies. So what are they doing? They're simply stopping black people from voting and hoping that the rest of you will take a look down at your fluorescent skin and vote accordingly. And for the rest of you that are thinking about voting, there's been a quote-unquote audit being run by a, a QAnon guy that runs a company called Cyber Ninjas that has never, ever audited an election before down in Arizona. This is real. And the thing that they're doing is they're they're looking at all of the ballots. And what are they looking for, right? Are they going to examine all of the ballots for all of the races, even the races Republicans won? No, they're only going to look at the presidential race because that's the one Republicans lost. So even if Republicans won with those exact same ballots, they're not looking at that. They're just looking at who they voted for for president. And they're doing a couple things. One, they're going over them with uh, magnifying glasses, and this is real, and blue lights. And they're looking for bamboo because they say that millions of votes came from China. This is super racist. Millions of votes were flown in from China. And when they see the bamboo fibers on it, because clearly we can't grow bamboo here in the United States, when they find the bamboo fibers on the paper, that's going to tell them that it was the Chinese. This is super racist. They also said they're looking for panda hair. I'm kidding. They didn't say they're, <laughs> didn't say they're looking for panda hair. But the other thing they said they're doing is already racist. And now that they've gone through quite a few of the votes and it hasn't changed anything, they've decided that what they would like to do is go door to door to black people's houses. This is real. And ask them if this is who they really voted for. Right? Go door to door to anybody who voted for Joe Biden and say, is this who? So now they're talking about voter intimidation. Uh, so what's happening in Arizona? Is it going to bear fruit? I think probably not, but it's not meant to bear fruit. What it's meant to do is it's meant to destroy democracy. What it's meant to do is create doubt in the future. So the next time we have an election, really any election in this country, you'll have your doubts about who won. What you're seeing right now is not novel. What you're seeing with cyber ninjas in Arizona you're going to see it in, in, in you know, all the, any state that Biden won, you're going to see it happen in those states too. And the Republicans in uh, those states, those swing states that 
that Trump lost, you, they're already calling the cyber ninjas guy who, by the way, does not know what the F he's doing. They're already calling him. And so what's the point of all of this? Well, the point of this is to just stop you from voting. Make you think twice about voting. Make you think twice about going to the polls. And then once we find out who won the election, make you question who won the election. It's all about stopping you from voting. It's amazing to me that we don't have the voter turnout that we should in this country. When you think about how hard people are fighting to strip you of the right to vote, the fact that anybody within the sound of my voice or not in the sound of my not within the sound of my voice does not vote is effing insane. If your vote to right was not to vote, your right to vote was not super duper important, the Republicans wouldn't be working day and night to strip you of your right to vote. If you miss any election, and I mean any election, and by the way, they're happening yearly no matter where you live. You're out of your effing mind. Voting works. It's easy. It was easy. It's very powerful. It sends a clear message. And it is your voice. We're, we are also hearing the dying cries of white supremacy. And Santorum, while speaking with the young Republicans recently, decided that he was going to go full racist on this front. If you think about this country, I don't know of any other country in the world that was settled predominantly by people who were coming to practice their faith. They came here because they were not allowed to practice their particular faith in their own country. And so they came here mostly from Europe And they set up a country that was based on Judeo-Christian principles. I say Judeo-Christian, the Mosaic laws, Ten Commandments, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the the morals and and teachings of Jesus Christ. That's, That's what our founding documents are based upon. It's in our DNA. You know, if you think of other countries like Italy and Greece and China and Turkey and places like that, they've all sort of changed over time. I mean, they've been, they've been there for, cent- for millennia in many cases. And their culture has sort of evolved over time. But not us. We came here and created a blank slate. We, we birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but, if, but candidly, that, that, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. It, it was born of the people who came here pursuing religious liberty to practice their faith, to live as they ought to live, and have the freedom to do so. Religious liberty. Those are the two bulwarks of America. Faith and freedom. I mean, you hear it all the time, now, faith and freedom, faith and freedom. But it is what makes America unique in the world couple of things. Let's pick this apart. First of all, faith. Religious freedom has, was, has always been used as a vehicle for racism. It doesn't mean that if you're, you belong to the faithful that you're a racist, but it's, it's always because it sounds terrible to say, I would like to buy and enslave and rape a human being. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Religious freedom. It's a, this is a marketing term. That sounds way better, doesn't it? Yeah, There's a reason why it sounds way better, because it's a marketing term. 
It doesn't really mean anything. Let's pick apart a few other things that he said there. Uh, America was a blank slate. The Native Americans, my people, the Blackfeets, that's the tribe I belong to. Uh, my people were here for thousands of years <laughs> before the white man arrived. It was hardly a blank slate. There definitely was not nothing here. You know, and, and the Iroquois, they had this idea, this seventh generation idea. Like, whatever we do now, we should think about how it's going to affect seven generations out. Think about that. Think about oil companies or, or, or bankers or really, really anybody conducting any sort of business. If you thought about how is this going to affect us seven generations from now, would you still do it? Like, try that in your everyday life, you know? How is this going to affect seven generations from now? Like before you decide that you want to whoop your kid's ass with your bare hands or a belt, I mean, or any sort of abuse to a child. And by the way, the body keeps the score. When you abuse anybody, you just, you just pass that on. So anything that you do will live inside of the body. And it, how will it affect us seven generations from now? But we don't live like that anymore. And the other thing he said, we birthed a nation. That is a very, very, okay, he's speaking to the young Republicans. They've probably not heard of the movie Birth of a Nation or heard about our racist white supremacist president who decided to have a screening of it in the White House in 1920. And that was a movie celebrating the Klan. Birth of a Nation was a movie celebrating the Klan and castigating African-Americans. And the reason African-Americans were being castigated was because the idea of freeing them and making them full Americans and full human beings was starting to take hold. And the white supremacists could not take it. And what you're seeing today from Rick Santorum, who, by the way, now works for CNN, some liberal, some liberal station, huh? The United States Republican Party swearing fealty to a neo-Nazi white supremacist, our ex-president, president number 45. Everything about the United States Republican Party is full-blown white supremacy. It started off as corporatism, which had racism in the car, so as to keep some of the ignorant folks there to bring out the votes and keep those folks in, in power. But now, the United States Republican Party, and I say this, I say this with great sadness, I really do, is little more than a, than a white supremacist party. There's nothing there. There's no ideas. There's nothing outside of white supremacy. And the fact that they're working so hard to kill democracy right now really tells you everything that you need to know about them. I want to leave you with one final thing. And that is this. Remember right now. A question was recently posed to me about a time that I would like to go back to. And I thought about it very, very quickly. And I had an answer. And I gave the answer and I was satisfied with the answer. But when I first thought about like a time in my life that I'd like to go back to, I go, I don't really want to go back to anything, but I also don't want to know what's ahead. 
because I'm enjoying my life so much right now and I don't know what's going to happen and I really don't want to know what's going to happen. I kind of like where I'm at right now. There's this idea and I've heard it I've heard it put to me before that nostalgia is us simply remembering things as better than they really were. When we talk about the old days, right? When say folks say make America great again. Well, when was it great? Well, it was great in the 50s. Oh, you mean when women had very few rights and African Americans didn't have the right to vote? Well, no, the 20s, you know? Oh, well, you mean when women had just gotten the right to vote and Africans weren't even seen as human beings? Why you got to be all political, Melvin? <laughs> Nostalgia is how we remember things better than they really were. So I've got a daughter of 18, a daughter of 17, a daughter of 12. And with those older ones, working jobs, <laughs> driving cars, going to college, I'm embracing it and I'm quite proud of it. But I'm also missing those younger days. And I'm going, but what the hell is wrong with me? I was there. <laughs> I was there. I, uh, I played with them. I laughed at them. I was at the birthday parties. I was there. And I go, but my need to be back there right now, when they were that young, it's kind of overwhelming. And then it hit me. Every one of us that longs for the past and can't wait for the future that is past nostalgia or future nostalgia. Try this for a change. Remember right now, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, look at the people around you. Look at your spouse Look at your friends, you know, look at the, look at the pint in your hand, you know, look outside on a sunny day or a rainy day if you like rain. Just look around you. And for most of us, just remember right now, these are the greatest days of your life. And it doesn't mean that things aren't going to get better. And it doesn't mean that things are going to get worse. But it just means look around. Count your blessings. Don't long for days past. Remember right now and give yourself the gift of the present. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for being here. My name is Melvin. This is The Fire You Can't Put Out. Questions, comments, hate mail, just a general statement or inquiry. You can email us at tfycpo at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform and entertain, but also to keep an open dialogue with you, our listener base. So feel free to reach out to us. And as always, thank you for listening. We are the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail, rejecting austerity in favor of prosperity. Special thanks to Kevin for producing, and thank you for listening. This is Melvin, signing off. And now that I've woke you up, Good morning.